Hello, everyone. This is We Watch 100 Isekai, in which, true to form, we watch 100 Isekai, one at a time. But we are not at 100 yet, no siree. We are at... Oh no, I don't have the number. Uh, probably somewhere within the 50s. <laughs> I remember doing episode 50 for sure. Uh, so, this might be 51? No, 51 was Conception, so this is 52. Yeah, it's time for the new 52. Oh yeah, we all DC um, in here. Yeah, can't wait uh, for my summer vacation in the Speed Force. Oh, yesterday in real life, I was uh, describing how the DC multiverse works to, uh, to Zaku, and that was an experience. Uh, yeah, she showed me the map. Not of Earth, of like the universe, multiverse. Yeah, all the stuff. It, yeah, I, I talked about some stuff before, but this was the real like. Okay, here is where the Speed Force physically is. Here is where the monitors live, and also where the monitors go to work. And uh, the big one, of course, is that if you look up the map of the DC multiverse, it is two dimensional. Like it's a top down look. And of course, underneath the area with the the fifty two separate Earths, there is the dark multiverse. <laughs> is that ah uh, right? Of course, I of course know what the dark multiverse is. Uh, that's where the new Mummy movie takes place, right? <laughs> that is, of course, where the Mummy and the Invisible Man live. Of course. <laughs> When are we going to get a, Barba uh, a Barbados movie? Like, just as a, a solo movie? What's, this, what's hmm. that going to be about? It can be the origin story of how, of course, this is the beast that exists at the dawn of existence. Or, you know, it's the fourth thing to come into existence. And it's got to destroy all the bad dark multiverse universes. But then... As Batman is being sent backwards in time due to a bullet that... Uh, actually, no, it's not the bullet that goes through backwards through time. It is instead a viral concept that is also thought to be Barbat uh, Barbados, but is not. Uh, he goes back in time and becomes Caveman Batman. And as he is uh, under the effect of Darkseid's Omega Sanction, which pulls him further and further through time, allowing him to be a Batman in various different fun eras, such as Pirate Batman and Night Batman, uh, Barbatos from the Dawn of Existence sees him and goes, Ah, oh, this guy looks super dope. I am going to become a Bat Demon. Which is, of course, a parallel to uh, the night in which uh, Bruce Wayne decided to theme himself after a bat, when Barbatos, the bat demon, then flew through his window, inspiring him to say the famous line, Yes, father, I will become a bat. See, the, the, the parallel is that Batman flew in front of Barbatos, and Barbatos also thought, Yes, I will become a bat. As you may have ascertained from the, what we're talking about, we are, of course, talking about the Twelve Kingdoms. I thought, you know, if there was a Hollywood movie, they would probably have one where, like, Barbados goes to destroy one of the universes, but falls in love with, like, Femme Batman in one of the universes. Oh. 
and it's like, oh, I can't destroy the universe. I love Batman too much. Only the power of heterosexuality can save the universe. Nay, the multiverse. <laughs> There's, of course, Naturally. a pair there was, of course, a parallel to this in the Marvel Universe, in which after the famous Civil War, which, you know, splits all of America in half, of uh, uh, Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four looks th through some parallel timelines. After previously having gone through all the parallel timelines and decided, oh, no, we have to be fascists. It's the only way we'll be able to survive. After Civil War, he goes back and he's like, actually, no, there's actually quite a few where we don't become fascists and it's fine. One, the most famous one, of course, being the one in which Steve, uh, Tony Stark is a girl. And so there is no civil war because Captain America and Iron Woman get married instead. Uh... Heterosexuality is the only thing that can save all timelines. I hate, I love when I just have like the gift of all knowing when I'm like, what would be just the level of stupid one of the comic book universes would actually do? And I make the <laughs> joke, and someone goes, uh, actually, they already did that, like, two years ago. And I'm like, oh, fuck. God fucking damn it. You've got the right vibe. You could definitely write some comics in the future. <laughs> I don't want to write that type of comic book. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for listening to our Marvel and DC podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Back to your way more popular topic of 12 Kingdoms, the best shonen anime of... Uh, 2002. Of two th 2002? 2002. This must have been production pretty long, considering it's not DigiPaint. Yeah, it has a very old school look to it. But no, I, I, uh, I, mm -hmm. I mean, this makes sense. It's like the that era where it's like this is as good as cell animations ever going to get because we're going to stop doing it now. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it, it it does blow my mind when I see things like also like uh you know the card capture Sakura movies where those are also like you know the the peak of cell animation and I always think of those being nineties but no those are two thousands. It's just, you know, we're right at that era of digital starting to take off and people starting to move over to digital. Yeah. I mean, it's usually very convenient because, like, the 2000s, like, the new millennium is literally the cutoff point for most of them. Mm-hmm. But, yes. Uh, we... but... Mm -hmm. but, yeah, this show looks incredibly nice. In fact, this is probably the best-looking show we've ever covered on our podcast truly mind-blowing honestly i mean i've only seen the first episode uh you've seen more but yeah i can say just from the first episode it does look fantastic this show has so much directing and writing <laughs> this show of course is the 12 kingdoms also known as juni kokuki also known as record of 12 countries also known again as juni kokuki <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it's a uh, series of fantasy novels, not even light novels, no, just straight up actual novels written in Japan. Yes, and let me tell you what, it's pretty apparent that this is like a real novel. And if you look at the cover and like look at the anime, it is way more what like Aragon or Lord of the Rings than it is. Re-Zero or Jobless Reincarnation. 
Mm-hmm. Even tonally, writing-wise, premise-wise, everything. It's very much influenced by fantasy literature, much more so than fantasy video games. Yeah. Which is a big departure for war usually, usually isekai stick. Because even with the old ones, like Ray Earth, which came out before this, I believe. Uh, yes. They are very much inspired by fantasy video games, primarily. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, level of recursion in that, like, you know, you have these big epic fantasies that these games are then based off of, whether they are, like, video games or, like, tabletops, but then, like, aspects of, like, the rules and the way in which you have to simplify things for a game and then make their way into other, like, just straight-up fantasy things that are not based on anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, it is kind of, like, mind-warpy to go back to something that is just, you know, completely a fantasy thing that is just, you know, based on other epic fantasy. And to then go, like, oh, what, right, that's what this is like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's very Western-feeling. Or rather, it's just, it just doesn't feel very, like, in line with the trends of anime. Which is maybe why it's so relatively forgotten. Because this is a show that I've never in my life heard anyone mention. Same. I keep on mistaking it just in conversation with the Three Kingdoms, even though they are completely not alike in the set in you know in the slightest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the first entry of the uh, book franchise was called The Twelve Kingdoms: Sea of Shadow, and it was released in 1992. In fact, uh, the series is still ongoing as of right now. Oh boy, huh? Yeah, they they aren't being like pumped out, but like they're they're slowly coming out. And they like, are getting regular releases. Uh, I I would call them regular. Uh, like uh, most of them came out in between uh, nineteen ninety two to two thousand one, and then we had one in twenty thirteen, and then another one in twenty nineteen. Oh boy! <laughs> so it, it's it hasn't been regular, but it seems like you know there was a big stop for a while, and now it's ramping back up. So do you, do you know if there was like a sort of ending ish thing in twenty in two thousand and one, and then like they kept going, or was there just like you know pretty much just. It didn't quite get finished, and then the author ran out of steam or health points or whatever. From what I understand, it looks like uh, it, it was just sort of going. Uh, we don't like we don't know exactly if the author was running out of steam, but like the last thing they made in two thousand one was a like a novel that was just like multiple short stories, and then in two thousand thirteen, when the series started back up again, we got another volume that was just like here here's some more short stories in this world. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the volume in t- uh, 2019 is a, like, we've done a big time skip, and now we're getting back to the main plot. I see. So I wonder if this then has an anime original ending, or just kind of ends. <laughs> yeah, because it, it does because look it like... Because it is fairly long. This is like 43 episodes. Yeah, and, like, the way in which the adaptation works, like, you can look at, uh, like, the first episode that we covered is called Shadow of the Moon, the Sea of Shadow, the first chapter. 
and that is you know very clearly supposed to be an adaptation of the first book which is uh uh sea of shadow and <laughs> like the titling scheme continues like onwards very clearly like i don't know if each of these episodes is literally a chapter of the uh of the novel but there are like multiple chunks in this anime that are clear like you know this is the adaptation of this book and now we've moved on to this book and then now we've moved on to this book yeah 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 so curious honestly yeah, it looks like actually it only uh like the final uh arc is volume or book three. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's book three, and it, it looks like each book does have a like you know more or less like an ending. Like the story continues on, but also like you know the entire arc of that book is resolved in that book. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious how this pans out. I am. No stranger to watching unfinished adaptations, and uh, I don't know if this is the type of thing that would ever get more of it. Although, I could probably, if it is translated, actually read the new books for this, because mm. presumably they are written like a real novel. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and I'm not necessarily a big fan of the writing style of Japanese light novels. But yeah, it it doesn't look like she necessarily stopped at any point. It's just like there's a bunch of other series that uh, uh, the writer Fuyumi Ono did just, you know, like over the course of writing. And The Twelve Kingdoms is just one of them. Right, right. So it seems like she was very prolific, like, you know, in the late 90s, getting into the early 2000s. And then she just sort of like, you know, released stuff intermittently. And now it seems like she's getting back into writing. Okay. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, hmm. uh, I hope for all the Twelve Kingdom fans out there, that which may soon include myself, that uh, we we indeed find out more what happens because uh, yeah, it's quite the interesting anime. <laughs> also, in a bit of you know tiny little trivia, have did you ever watch the anime Another? No, I don't think so. It had some mild infamy in, uh, like, around uh, 2012. Well, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of another. Yeah, the, the writer of the another novel is married to the writer of the series. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Hmm. <laughs> I, I see that very rarely in, like, uh, like uh, stuff where it's like, you know, this person is a super famous writer. A lot of time it is, you know, like, they marry someone who is not a writer. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always Togashi and, uh... Yeah, the uh, writer of Sailor Moon. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, Twelve Kingdoms, the novels, still ongoing. The anime, not ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> but you never know. Like, again, this only adapted to uh, book number three. And if it gets big, I could see them, like... <laughs> Either just, you know, starting from scratch and then readapting everything, or I could see them just, you know, like starting from uh volume four. Like <laughs> there is no way on earth <laughs> that a new adaptation would be as good as this one. <laughs> <laughs> no shot. <laughs> <sighs> I can tell from the way you're saying this that you 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 seem to like this adaptation. 
Yeah. I'm getting I mean, that energy again, from you. Best looking thing we've ever watched, probably, on this show at least. So, hmm. <sighs> like, it's got very interesting directing. It's it's very tonally fitting for the series. It's got a good score. You know, it's... I think it was... <sighs> like... I just can't see them giving this the kind of understated presentation that it needs these days. And I feel like they try to push it more into the isekai niche to market it to that demographic, ah. which would probably make it much worse. This is like so the exact counterpoint to every isekai we usually cover <laughs> in terms of like tone and presentation and like how how the story pans out for the main characters <sighs> well let's not beat around the bush i think we yeah. should just get right into this one yep 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 okay let's get into the recap we start our episode with a small dream sequence. Uh, well, actually, we start our episode with an opening, but... <laughs> yeah, it's an opening that I can't really say a lot about. There's a lot of just, like, abstract stuff that I imagine is going to get way more context later on. Yeah, I think I understand a lot more of the opening than you probably do, just by looking at it, because I can go, oh, yeah, mm. this is... What's being depicted here, but it's very sort of um, mural depictions of various things happening, lots of fetuses in fruits or growing on trees, lots ah. of unicorns. Yeah, it reminds me a little of, um, if you remember, it's the start of Tweeny Witches, which also had a lot of just like, here are some tapestries explaining the entire like backstory of the series, but you have no context in order to interpret exactly what this all means, but we are showing it to you. Yeah, and these are really nice tapestries. You know what, when did fantasy series decide that like traditional tapestries aren't extremely cool? <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Bring back tapestry core. Yeah, exactly. Okay, in a dream sequence, we see a girl open her eyes. A mysterious little gremlin man sits on a rock in a dark place and tells her that they're approaching before various images flash and fire erupts. And uh, we see... A girl spring awake in her bedroom. Yeah. This is our protagonist, Yoko. <laughs> Once downstairs, Yoko's mother wants her to get her hair dyed after school because it is red. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, she's been asked if that's her real hair color again, and her parents don't like it. In fact, they find it very embarrassing and disgraceful. <laughs> because that's no Japan. one on either side of their family has red hair either. Yep. Gotta get a certificate to show that your natural hair color isn't black. Ah! I'm not uh. sure how much that is a thing nowadays anymore. 
uh, as I understand it, it's still a thing. And like the, the thing that people really hate is that even if you have a certificate saying that, like schools will still make you dye your hair black because the problem isn't like, you know, that you're not conforming. The problem is if you're, you know, just walking home and someone sees you in the school uniform with non-standard hair, by non-standard, I mean not black, then the rumors might spread that this school allows people, you know, allows kids with dyed hair, or the school, you know, is you know not enforcing morality properly. Mm-hmm. And so everyone needs to look as uniform and nondescript as possible, because then when parents are thinking about schools to send their kids to, they'll go like, "Oh yeah, you know, Toku High. It's so nondescript. It must be a good school." I've never seen a person with blonde hair go there. When I listen to the news, I don't hear anything about the school. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, this show has a lot to say about culture. Mm. And discrimination is like a huge, huge theme. Like discrimination among peers and state discrimination <laughs> mm-hmm. uh this is this is this comes up in one of the some of the light episodes but this is a very big thing that the show is trying to have a message about <laughs> yeah like in the very next scene of yoko's looking down at a girl who has like what i seem is supposed to be actually dyed hair because like yeah. Like, Yoko's hair color is not very anime in terms of, you know, the, the coloring. It's very, like, you know, it is very clearly red all the way through, but it is more of, like, a subdued red. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah, the girl she's looking at... more of a naturalish hair color. Yeah, the girl she's looking at has, you know, a much more stylish hairdo. She's got way more of a, like, a pinkish red hairdo, and she's got, like, tan skin. Like, this yeah, is... Yeah, she's got the sort of Yaru look, if our audience knows what that is. Yeah. The top of her uniform is unbuttoned. Like, this this is the girl that parents look at and go like, oh my god, people from that school can have a slightly darker complexion and dye their hair and wear hair accessories? I don't want my kids going there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, this is on the bus. And because she's sort of, staring at that girl obviously thinking about it because she's kind of meekly said that yeah she'll dye her hair after school uh the girl kind of lashes out at her going yeah what are you looking at huh Mm -hmm. and as yoko sort of meekly stammers into herself one of her friends comes by and confronts her in a admittedly pretty rude way Mm -hmm. (laughs) but does in a way save yoko here that's asano He's a sort of slacker-ish looking boy with uh, brown hair and headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They talk on their way to school, and Asano comments how Yoko was always being such a good girl. But Yoko is anxious and says that she doesn't want to be class president anymore. <laughs> well, because of uh, many obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. A girl called Yuka comes up behind Yoko and tries to say hello, but Yoko sort of just ignores her. And uh, as that is, as it goes, Asano comments on that, and uh, well, without commenting on that, 
leaves with some of to talk to some of his male friends up ahead. In class, the girls begin to make fun of Yuka because she's sort of like the obvious loner girl. She looks like Rei Ayanami with black hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, one of the girls asks out loud for a seat uh, that's not next to Yuka. Yoko, being class president, tries to calm down the class and ends up taking the seat next to Yuka sort of semi-reluctantly. Yeah, it's also important to note that, like, she was just saying she didn't want to be class president, and then when we transition into the scene, the the, the uh, teacher is immediately saying, yes, of course, she will be class president again this year. Yeah, of course. And she's just like, mm-hmm, yep, yeah. <laughs> Extremely uh, demure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is... This is all a very sort of awkward, but in a realistic way, depiction of just relations between people. Very, I'm gonna walk away and ignore you in a very sort of, I just got like vaguely pretending I just didn't hear you kind of way. But like, it's kind of obvious to both of us that I'm ignoring you because you're unpopular, and I don't want to be that, but it's not like a very over-the-top anime, oh, you loser, might as well be dead thing. Yeah, it's very clear how everyone feels, but it's not very heightened. It 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 hurts a lot to look at in the sense of like, yeah, like it reminds me a lot more of what high school is really like, as opposed to anime high school, where like even if there is bullying, usually it's more of the we're we're throwing you out of the building uh, bullying. Yeah, it's like the ridiculous like we're beating you up behind school, and I have a pompadour and a wooden stick like it's the nineteen fifties. Hmm. <laughs> Whereas this is a lot more of the subdued, oppressive kind of power of the crowd bullying, where it's like, yeah, everyone's just doing this, and no one's going to complain about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if it's here, but I think there's also a scene of Yuka and Yoko talking outside of the class. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Yuka's is trying to read a book. Yeah, Yuka's trying to read a book in the uh, outside class, and Yoko tries to talk to her, but it's clear that the relationship is very strained between them. And you can you can totally understand why Yuko would not be feeling very pleasant towards Yoko in this scene. Mm-hmm. Because, well... It's very easy to also feel bad for Yoko in this episode because she's struggling a lot. She's very keen, very prominently hurting people through her unwillingness to stand up to other people. Yeah, it's the like, you know, she's not enforcing, like, she's not actively trying to be a bad person, but if you don't, like, stand up to oppressive systems, then you're also part of the problem. Exactly, exactly. Coming to you kind of being like, well, you know, if you weren't always sitting alone reading books. <laughs> yeah. And there's this amazing shot here where it's just Yuka going, people think we're friends. And then it cuts to them being in extremely stark 
lighting, standing separated cleanly on both sides of the screen by a tree growing in the, like, cold concrete schoolyard. And it's extremely good. As you said, this anime is very directed. Yeah. And it it really goes to show there's so much going into it. And I like that while the directing and the visual coordination of this entire scene is very strong, nothing about it is loud or over the top. Oh yeah, and then we get a cool little vision of uh, the little demon Scrimblo and Yuka murdering Yoko with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And now... We are getting into the real shit. Ah, oh, here we go. Um, okay, okay. When class has ended, Yoko is sitting in her seat when from behind she's suddenly spoken to by a man with golden hair. She immediately gets up and begins backing away when he starts to uh, accuse her of being the quote-unquote the person that he has been searching for. A voice calls out to the man, calling him Taiho, and explaining that there's trouble nearby. Yoko backs into the board, and the man proclaims that she must take her throne before bowing at her feet and swearing that he will protect her and never abandon her throne, but that she needs to accept the terms first. Oh, this is so... Uh, like uh, I also appreciate that like throughout all of this her classmates are reacting to this person like this is not a vision or anything <laughs> this is not yeah. a like you know the class happens to be empty and then this person shows up like everyone is reacting as if a random adult has just sort of popped into here for some reason voiced by Takahiro Koyasu by the way just pointing that out here oh. Takahiro Koyasu has showed up in your classroom what do you do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's more than a little bit confused, <laughs> but hmm. seeing as um, she does kind of just whatever people ask her to do, she's just like, oh, yeah, I guess, okay. And when the teacher walks in gusts, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> All the windows on the gla- glass windows in the room fucking explode severely wounding most people in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a harmless little poltergeist thing. This is a a fucking fighter jet just blew by. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the teacher has the presence of mind to, like, you know, grab her ankle and then <laughs> complain, like, why, why aren't the two of you hurt? Yeah, like, what's happening? Why is it just the two of you that are fine? (laughs) Yoko flees the room, followed by the strange man, and a few students in the hallway get hurt as yet more glass shatters. The man tells her in a panic state that she has to go up the stairs if she doesn't want anyone else to get hurt. And she does as he says, and ends up on the roof, where she finds Yuka and Arsenal hanging out together. Mm -hmm. Again, just get a little bit of a short insight into, oh, Yuka and Arsenal. They're like an item. And that's probably also why Arsenal very poignantly shunned and walked away from Yoko after she sort of snubbed Yuka earlier. Mm -hmm. It's uh, all very subtle and about, you know, 
interpersonal dynamics. Oh. Um. Hold on, I need to find my place in my summary again. Mm-hmm. A giant bird fully reveals itself after another flyby of the school, and is fought by a wolf-like beast that uh, Keiki summons. Keiki being the Koyasu character that is shown up here, by the way. After noticing uh, that there is some kind of fantasy battle going on on top of the school, (laughs) Yuka becomes very engrossed in the events that are happening. You can see she was also reading a fantasy book earlier, like Knights and Dragons. Eh, eh? It's all tying back together. It it was very mildly juni. Yeah. A very sort of a 1990s kind of juni. Mm Hmm. You know... Before you could have had her reading, like, Ari Ferreira or whatever. <laughs> Yuka, Yuka very much strikes as the type that would enjoy modern isekai. Ah, <laughs> oh, too early to experience the new classics. Like Ari Ferreira. God. Yeah, Yuka wrote Jobless Reincarnation. Oh. <sighs> oh. Yeah. Uh, as the blonde, as the fighting still going on, Yuka runs over and asks the blonde man for his name. He responds, "His name is Keiki," and he goes over to Yoko and tells her that she needs to fight. And he answers sword. <laughs> <laughs> Yoko tosses it to the ground, scared and confused. But Keiki just scolds her, telling her that she needs to fight because she can't fight himself, as Keiki detests bloodshed. <laughs> Uh, Yuka's like, I can do it, I can fight, and Keiki's like, mm, no, very unwise, <laughs> and says that he'll take Yoko along to his world, and Yuka demands that she goes with them, and uh, Asuno is also here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Yuka's just like, no, Yoko would never want to go without me, her best friend, Yuka. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Keiki ends up dragging along Yoko, Asuno, and Yuka with another set of summons, which at this point he's had, like, a harpy, a wolf, a giant monkey, just a variety of fantasy beasties. It's all very classically, very fantasy-looking monsters, very Avatar The Last Airbender, I think, like that, spirits from that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, because, yeah, like, I would disagree that they look very classic. Like, the wolf is very, like, uh, like, they're all very, like, tattooed. The wolf is very, like, you know, multicolored. The harpy is just sort of, the harpy is sort of, like, this, uh, like, insect vibe going on. Like, she's got these antenna coming out of her. She's, yeah, she's got, like, bug eyes. Yeah, like, they're all relatively distinct. Yeah, they are pretty distinct. I mean, like, more like... I, I yeah, I guess they have more of a Western fancy vibe. Um okay, yep, 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 yep. Okay. They are all via various means of giant monkey jumping and Pegasus flying, transported to the pier. Uh where he tells a water like monster called Juyu to go inside Yoko's body. So he can fight for her. 
Uh, Yoko is very upset about this and wants to take it out, but Keiki once again just hands her the sword and tells her she needs to kill this big bird or everyone's dying. And that she also just kind of needs to keep her eyes open mainly so that the <laughs> ghost inside her can properly fight. Yeah, it, it's a very specific, like, you know, this isn't a only her, uh, like, whatever it is. It's not a, like, you know, her intent is what is necessary to fight with the sword. It is a, like, no, her body needs to be holding it. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a ghost inside you can do all the fighting. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we get a extremely amazing sequence of the bird flying towards her and her beheading it, where we get the sort of completely cut to black as like blood flows down the black screen, slowly oh, yeah. revealing the outline of the sword. It's it so is cool. Hyper sick. Yeah. The combat in this all has this extremely real weight to it. Even just from the fact of, like, the wind pressure of the bird flying by, knocking out all the windows and severely injuring people. It's all very, like, no, there's a lot of consequences to everything happening. Yeah. Like, the, the general difference is that, like, nothing in this works out cleanly, which is the complete opposite of, like, isekai as a genre. <laughs> like... Mm -hmm. Everything you do comes with the kinds of complications that real life comes with. You're never just going to walk into an adventurous guild and they're going to give you a job and be like, wow, you have red hair. We're not going to comment on that further outside. Yeah, your clothes are interesting. <laughs> like, no, this is very like the problems of living life as a human being don't leave you in another world. Or this one, just because you can <laughs> sword fight good. Yeah, it, it strikes a really good balance in that, like, the series is also not very, like, you know, here's the bureaucracy of how this all works. Like, that's also, you know, a relatively common thing of, like, we're going to show just the downsides of all this stuff that you think looks cool. But it is more of just a, like, uh, there's just a strong sense of realism to everything in this episode. Yeah, everything's muddled and complicated and taking away a little bit of a head. The fancy world itself is very rural, medieval, Japan and China inspired. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of just like, just, you know, general, just, no, this isn't like a fun little Dragon Quest fantasy kingdom where people give you quests. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, this is a pretty bleak show. Let's yeah. say it like that. And it's not edgy because it's not very over the top. It's just like nothing's ever simple. <laughs> the complete opposite of smartphone isekai, really. <laughs> There's no just walking around until a rich guy shows up and says, I will buy all of your clothing for an absurd amount of money. <laughs> no, there's just walking around until you almost starve and have to consider whether you are morally willing to rob somebody. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so i also like you get to see it with a lot of the magic stuff there's absolutely no explanation for what the magic that's happening on screen here is it's just like keiki's gonna do a thing and something's gonna happen and he's yeah. gonna say words and you're just gonna be as confused as all the characters are as to what the hell is going on 
the like the constant sense of realism really helps with this in that like fundamentally he's just kind of doing stuff and then it happens but it you, you never get that feeling of okay so there are no stakes then there is this clear feeling of like there are rules it's just we have no idea how they work yeah a lot of stuff might be more or less literal than you think it is so the implications about the nature of certain things in this episode later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's there's always a question of, like, yeah, why can't Keiki just fight? Why is Yuka so <laughs> hell-bent on killing herself? <laughs> Actually, I don't think, <laughs> judging by how she's being treated in this episode, that's much of a mystery. No, that feels very on face. But you kind of also get that the main cast here is kind of like, all a little bit shitty in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yoko is very much just looking for people's approval, whether that means meekly taking things lying down that she probably shouldn't. Yuka's very <sighs> mean and also mm-hmm. disconnected from reality. She's very much wanting to escape, and Asano just kind of is a loser who <laughs> seems to very much just hang out with people because they'll take him. Ah, the other one. Yeah. And, uh... Keiki's very... She, she's gonna whisk you away to a fancy kingdom, but do you want that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, after that, Keiki again says, yeah, I'm gonna take you along, and Yoko's like, no, I don't wanna go, I wanna stay here, and Yuka runs about it to like, well, what is here for you? Everyone fucking hates you. (laughs) (laughs) And Yoko's kinda not having an answer to that. And as that's happening, a glowing spot opens up on Keiki's head, and everyone gets knocked out, and when Yoko comes to, she's being, she's pummeling down on the back of a wolf riding with a harpy into a giant vortex in the ocean that's full of light. (laughs) Oh, it's so intense. Yeah. And after she goes to the other side of the vortex and we zoom out on a very orderly shaped world map, uh, that's our episode, and we get the extremely nice ending theme. Yeah. It's also... this episode... Mm-hmm. No, no, go on. Oh, just like, it's also very bookended in that, like, the episode starts off with a shot of the continent, but it's all, like, daytime. And so it's very bright and you can mm-hmm. see all the colors, whereas, like, when we see it here, it's, you know, very, very dark. There's no color to it. It's, you know, it's very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, throughout this episode, I have mentioned it. There's another kid that she like periodically encounters, whose hair first seems black, but then seems blonde, and she sees like a little vision, and he disappears again. And he also appears later at the pier again. But like, I didn't want to interrupt the flow of things, so <laughs> this, this doesn't enough. really even come up that much this episode. Yeah. The- there's a lot of, like, nice, subtle little things that can't really fit in into a recap very smoothly. 
Like, you know, yeah. like the whole reason why uh, Yoko is out by the pier is because her mom catches her at home and is like, hey, you, I told you to go dye your hair. Go dye your hair. Yeah. And at one point, there's also a scene of her going to the hair salon, looking <laughs> inside and just like sort of running away again as she meets eyes with the hairdresser. Yeah. Like Yoko uh, seems extremely troubled. If you need a reference for what a character reads like, it's like if Tsubasa Hanekawa wasn't pretending to be happy. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, if I, I mean, I can go more into it because you don't see it that much this episode, but Yuka has a lot of Boy, this is gonna sound really bad. Mm-hmm. A school shooter energy throughout these some of these later episodes. Ah, it becomes very apparent soon. Okay, fair. Uh, it's a very everyone's having a rough one in this. Hmm. I can say that between everyone having a rough one, plus the, like, very not-stated mystery of, like, you know, what the fuck is any of this, how do the powers work, and then, you know, like, the, the very grounded in realism world, and the fact that most of this episode is mostly just, like, characters doing character stuff, but very subtly, uh, I, I feel we can put this all under the umbrella of Zakukor. Like, one or two of these things in any of the uh, series we have done has been enough to, like, you know, swing your feelings on it pretty hard. Or, like, even in, you know, a series you don't like, you will bring up one of these things as the big, like, oh, well, actually, I really liked this part of it. <laughs> well, I never claim to be, like, a, hot, a person of hard-to-read tastes. <laughs> oh, that's why we need to have the rating system and the board, and we have to put numbers to everything. <laughs> Uh, yeah, hold on. I, I feel like I just had a cut down. I just had a point I wanted to make Please. about the show. Uh, god damn it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. What I wanted to say, just on more interesting stuff, the show brings up. So, this show goes into something really interesting, which is a twist on, you know, a lot of isekai are about going to a foreign place right mm-hmm. but at its core and this is not often acknowledged you're going to a foreign place where you don't know the customs don't know the cultures you don't have anyone you can really go talk to and you don't really have a way to make a living and you might not even speak the language mm. and if this sounds like a metaphor for being an immigrant in another country <laughs> that's mm. because it pretty blatantly is in this show it is genuinely very stunning that so few isekai have any comparison to being an immigrant and like we've brought that up before but just as a like you know it's uh, that's because a lot of isekai is all about you know the superiority of the people that are going there which makes it come a lot more like colonialist like columbus explorations or like Mm -hmm. sort of white saviorism whereas this is very much Like, I'm going to a place and I have no fucking clue what's going on and I don't know everything better than everyone. 
and I can sword fight good, but you can't actually just make a living with sword fighting good if no one knows you or trusts you. Hmm. <laughs> and you're an illegal immigrant. <laughs> like, this is a this is a big thing that is super interesting about the show. This is what I always talk about of like Problems aren't inherently difficult or easy. They are difficult or easy in relation to the people f- that are facing them. Right. It's like, yeah, and, everyone has different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is the old joke of, like, telling Goku to file his taxes is almost more interesting than telling him to go fight a guy. Because, you know, it's a struggle for him. Mm-hmm. And similarly, even though, especially our main character, does have, like, a magic sword and a ghost that helps her fight good, <laughs> those aren't necessarily presented as just, oh yeah, this will solve all my problems. It's very <laughs> much like, even with my magic sword and ghosts, I am I am having a, not a bad one. <laughs> And that's Zaku Core. <laughs> that is Zaku Core. I love when people uh, have given the gifts from heaven and then are having a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> I love when our main characters are awful and ha- have to learn a life lesson throughout the course of a story. <laughs> mm. You are right. This is a very Zaku Core show. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I do really, really like it. Uh, <sighs> yeah, Tama, do you have anything else to know on this episode? I, I feel like I've interrupted you a lot. No, not really. Yeah. Like, I, I've mostly just been trying to fill in stuff, but you've given a pretty comprehensive view of the, uh, like, of the show, or, like, of the first episode, I should say. Like, I know you've seen more and you've talked a little bit about more, but I, I think this is a really strong intro. Like, if any of this sounds good, then I imagine people are going to check it out. Yeah. And uh, again, can't understand this episode, like, visually and audio visually <laughs> is incredible. It's It looks super good. It sounds good. It's so well directed. The actual writing on the dialogue is great. Like, mm-hmm. this doesn't come across that well in a summary but it has a lot of the kind of qualities that you can only really experience by watching the show yourself. Yeah, it is It is bonkers. This is a Studio Piero anime. <laughs> you might know them from Bleach or Naruto. Oh, is it now? Yeah, uh, it was uh, like it was released on NHK, the Japanese like, you know, like uh, like uh, how do I put that? Like government run station. I see. Which makes sense. Like they they tend to commission a lot of like novel adaptations and stuff. But that's usually more of a like, you know, like historical fiction (laughs) stuff as opposed to this. This is like unfun for the whole family. Yeah, I can see how this would be pretty difficult to just like get uh, you know other studios to do. I can see why you know p- the people who animated this like they put a lot of passion into it and it looks fantastic. But I can see why you you would probably be like, eh, I kind of want to just draw Naruto fighting Sasuke. Yeah, like 
See, <laughs> the thing that makes this feel the most Western is this is unhorny. In a way, mostly only like American shows, animated shows are. <laughs> and even then, only some of them. Yeah. This is a level of unhorny that anime doesn't usually reach. This is like monster levels of not horny at all. Yeah. That is very... That's a good way of putting it. I mean, even monster is kind of horny sometimes. Yeah, but in a very, like, CB... Like, in a very <laughs> CW kind of way, in a very HBO kind of way. Fair. You know? It's horny in a way that, like, the X-Files is horny. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, I looked up the director because we kept, you know, we kept on saying that this was very directed. Uh, the director is known as uh, Sunio Kobayashi, and The Twelve Kingdoms is like the main thing he is known for as a director. He also died in 2015. Jesus Christ, that's really unfortunate. Yeah, the last thing he did, which to be fair, this is gonna sound like backhanded, maybe, but I do think this was genuinely very well directed. Uh, the last thing he ever did was the last Naruto the movie. I see. It was yeah, no, genuinely I very mean, good. Yeah, he's clearly... He was clearly a very talented director. That's quite the unfortunate loss. Yeah, because... Yeah, he was still, like, not super young, but relatively young. God mm -hmm. damn. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. Well, it is kind of an unfortunate note to go out, out, go out on. Do we want to go into our ratings? Because I don't really have much else to say uh yeah i think that's good let's hit up those ratings so zaku speaking like now taking a deep breath thinking about all the other series we have done thus far and focusing mostly on this first episode how spicy was this first episode of the 12 kingdoms I'm gonna give this a seven out of ten like, the general mm -hmm. format reminds us of other things we've seen before. We, like, gonna spend a lot of time focusing on the high school life, and then and right at the end have the isekai after a little bit of, like, high school shenanigans. This is this is something that we do occasionally. Mm -hmm. But that's still one of the more unique things, and, like, the sheer presentation and tone of this is so offbeat from what we usually experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to use a 7. That makes sense to me. Huh. I... I think I'm also going to give it a 7. This... Like, yeah, this is such an interesting format. Because... Like, focusing mostly on the human world in the first episode, having it be a school thing, like, developing all the characters a lot more. It is something that I think about a lot for stuff where, like, what they're adapting is a media thing from the 90s. Like, uh, you know was kind of like this. Tweety Witches was actually a lot like this in the first episode. Yeah, I was thinking of, you know, there. Uh, Dog Days had a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think all of them also had 
uh, more of a like focus on an individual that brings you into the other worlds. Interestingly enough, as opposed to the like more spider like uh, there's a big blast and now everyone's in this other world or, you know, this big ritual happens or you died and, you know, uh, an, an angel said, all right, we're going to put you in another world. Yeah, it's got a lot of focus on someone sort of coming in and disrupting your daily life forcefully. Yeah, that also adds this extra layer of uh like a problem to what you're doing like if you die then that is more of a like a cosmic thing that feels more like okay so god's gonna take care of this or like this is you know the fantasy that's happening because you know i'm dying and oxytocin is floating in my brain or you know however you want to put it whereas if it is a clear like this individual needs you and especially if it's not a like you know a princess if it is a like just some other person who is like you know jumping into your world and grabbing you like, it has this extra layer of, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to survive in this other world. Like, this doesn't mean that I'm going to be in a great situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with a seven. It's, it's, there's a lot of stuff that we've seen before, and, uh, it, like, that is very much elevated by just the way in which it's all handled. So, with that, how nicey did you find this episode? Mm, you know, this is a really nice episode. Uh, let me give this like a... Huh. What are my feelings at? My feelings say kind of an 8. Okay. I mean, like, it's very Zack core, but at the same time, it's sort of understated, and the art style is, you know, a bit, a bit awkward to get used to. It's very... The way the way of drawing, drawing characters is pretty... Like, it takes a little bit of getting used to. Mm. And I don't know. It's just a purely emotional answer, like I guess. But, like, you know, it's still really good. Fair. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it more of a six. Like, a after I saw the first episode, I didn't really feel compelled to continue. Uh, knowing, <laughs> like, knowing a little more about where it goes, like, you know, hearing from you how enthused you are, I am more likely to go through. But, like, if we weren't doing this if we weren't watching it in, like, this context, if I just, you know, like, checked out the first episode on my own, I'd probably just sort of write it off as, like, this is really, really surprising. This feels very different, but I don't know if I'm in the mood for this right now. Right, like, right. It, yeah, it didn't quite tap into that, holy crap, I need to watch this thing energy. And so, final rating. How Isakaisi was the Twelve Kingdoms episode one? Ah. Uh... That's a good question. I think I'm actually going to let you go first on this one. Fair. Because, yeah, I feel like we expressed some of that in the spicy rating as well. Like, uh, this has a lot of isekai things to it. And uh, we, we didn't really get to see the other world very much. But we sort of did in, like, in the summoning mechanics and whatnot. Like, there was enough magic and stuff, even if it was within, you know, within Japan, it still gave me this very strange, different feeling of, like, you know, this is something from another world that is now intersecting with our own, that is now in a place where it should not be. It, of course, also hits a lot of your classic tropes, but not a lot of, like, ultra-modern tropes. Like, you know, we, we don't have the big harem. I, I don't think that we're going to develop a harem here. I I can't tell exactly where everything's going to go and genuinely like the the lack of everything being ideal is very un-isekai-y. 
Like, this is, like, that's not necessary for a series to be an isekai, but it does strike me as just very, you know, going against the grain of what isekai has become to present a world where it does feel scary, where, like, the, the you know, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, like, doesn't have a great life right now, but the answer isn't immediately obviously just like, well, let's abandon this and go somewhere else. There's still that hesitation, even though, like, she is very much a people pleaser as well. It isn't a, like, we are going to easily lubricate the reason why she would give up everything and go over here. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I find that section so, really interesting, and uh, I, I feel like right now I'm going to give it a 7 for isekaisiness. The, the, yeah. yeah. The, the fact that we didn't I mean, really see have... the other world, apart from just, like, the continents, is a big factor in that. Yeah. I think I'm just gonna agree with your rating here. Like you, you, you elaborated on it pretty well, and I mostly agree with all your points. I don't really have anything to add. Okay, fair enough. Ah, oh, so that is the Twelve Kingdoms. That is indeed the Twelve Kingdoms. Thermite, what are we covering next time? Ah, oh, well, we sure did a lot of kingdoms this time. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Next time, uh, I, I think I want to do a big swerve, a big something different. But also, uh, having reached the ripe old age of 52 uh, episodes, uh, we only recently came to the conclusion of like, oh, we don't have to do a bunch of absolute garbage. Like, there are so many series that exist and that are continuously coming out that we can hit 100 without doing a bunch of stuff we don't want to do, surprisingly enough. <laughs> and so I'm going to choose something that I do want to do, but also it's it feels like a bit of a swerve. Uh, the series I'm talking about is My Next Life as a Villainous, All Routes Lead to Doom. Oh, nice. Because I was going to say, I think it's about time that we like cover some more series that anyone's actually ever watched. <laughs> <laughs> We can't in- exclusively do 50 series that nobody has ever heard about and nobody ever knows about and no one will ever look up on Google. <laughs> we need some SEO. Yeah, and this one will be easy. I already watched the this episode one a while ago. Uh, I-, I watched it a while ago, like I think when it came out. So I'm going to need to do a bit of a rewatch before I do the recap. <laughs> but I am looking forward to it. Yep. Well then, with that being said, mm-hmm. uh, you might be, uh, yeah, you might be surprised what else you will find on our feed soon. I'm just gonna leave that little teaser here. Oh. And yeah. mm-hmm. we'll see you in another world. Mm-hmm.